Hey, so before we get into the word today, um, I want to talk about kind of what's going to happen in the new year. You guys excited for 2018? Yeah. Yeah. Who's ready to say bye-bye to 2017? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Who's going to kind of miss 2017? Yeah? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's a little bit. So I know we all have some good things that happen, some bad things, but aren't you glad that God is our God that is already in our tomorrow? Aren't you glad that he's already in our tomorrow planning, getting ready for us so we don't have to walk in fear? We don't have to be afraid of what's coming tomorrow. We can come in boldness in 2018 and expectant for good things that God will do for us. Are you, are you with me? Because God is going before you to lead you into victory. He is not going before you to lead you in defeat. Do you believe that? Okay, notify your faces. Because you should go from, God is for you. Who can be against you, the Bible says? Nobody. You are assured. God, this isn't about maybe God's going to win. We've got to remember what the cross really did. The cross wasn't just an event in the past. It was the beginning of eternal life. And his work on the cross was complete. That means God doesn't have to do anything more to get us victory and for us to walk in what God has promised us. Amen? Amen. So we got to believe that going into 2018. Say bye-bye to 2017. Let's learn from it, but let's transition into 2018 with faith. Let's leave the old things behind and, and let's walk in some new things this year. So in 2018, in January, we as a church are going to be doing a... That was weird. That wasn't me. My tummy's kind of upset from <laughs> Starbucks. No. Um, 2018, we're going to join in a 21-day fast together as a church. So starting on January 21st through January uh, 1st through the 21st, which is a Sunday on the 21st, we're going to be doing a corporate fast. And what that means is that each of you individually is going to pray and ask God what he wants you to fast from. So a Daniel fast, which is typically a 21-day fast, is just fruits and vegetables only. But that's not what you have to do. You can, and I would encourage and challenge each one of you to do something more than you've done in the past. Okay? So I want you to be challenged to that next level. I'm not asking you to go from never fasting in your life to a water-only fast for three weeks. You know, that, that's difficult, but, but it's doable. But I want to challenge you to do that. And that could be a, a myriad of things that God wants you to give up for 21 days to honor God and to show God that you're serious about this new year and you want to put him first and you want him to do something specific in your life. Amen. So this could be maybe you need to fast TV. Maybe you need to fast some foods that are putting stuff right here. Maybe you need to, I don't know what it's going to be for you, but God does, and he wants you to do that. And so here's what's going to happen. When you fast, it's not like you, oh, I'm going to fast, and then I deserve something from God. That's not the point of fasting. The, the main point of fasting is learning how you, as the spirit man in you, the spirit person, tells your flesh, your body, what it's going to do and what it's not going to do. Okay? Your body is the one used to telling us what we're going to do, Right? Oh, we're hungry. I've got to go eat. I'm bored. I've got to go do this. I've got to spend. I've got to shop. I've got to watch TV. I've got to go do movies. We're always trying to satisfy the flesh. The Bible says that there is a war going on between the spirit and the flesh, right? 
So the spirit and the flesh are constantly at war. And what fasting will do will help your spirit man rise up and learn how to say uh, to the flesh, no, this is what we're doing today. I don't care what you feel like. I don't care what the thoughts are coming in my head. I don't care what my five senses are trying to tell me. We're doing this. Does that make sense? How many of you like to walk in 2018 with your spirit person in charge and not the flesh? Amen? The flesh, if you listen to the flesh, the ways of the flesh are destruction and death. And you're gonna, if you follow those ways, you're going to have a life in 2018 filled with the fruit of walking in the flesh. Versus the fruit of walking in the spirit will give you the spiritual fruit, right? Are you with me? So fasting is a mechanism and a tool for you to get on. So that first day you don't eat and you're just drinking water, your body by, I mean, usually let's say you eat breakfast at eight, man, by right when you wake up, all of a sudden, if you know you're fasting, your body's like, gotta eat, gotta eat. You just, you wanna eat more than you normally do because your body is, is frustrated and it wants to get what it wants because it wants to satisfy itself. But you gotta rise up in your spirit and say, no, what did Jesus say when he was tempted with food? Yeah, but by the word of God. So God is your sustenance. Food isn't. Food doesn't sustain you. God sustains you. His spirit living in you is what's keeping this whole planet together. The Bible said he holds everything together by his word. Everything. If he decided to take one little second break from this universe, it would just... He holds everything together. And so we need to learn how to tell our flesh and our bodies what it's going to do. This body, our bodies are vehicles for our spirit person. Remember, we are a spirit. Say this with me. I am a spirit. I I live in a body. body. And I have a mind. You've got to get that to your heart. This body is temporary. Your spirit is eternal. This body is going to die one day and be buried in the ground and become worm food. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> oh, you're going you're gonna to be cremated. All right, all right. So you're going to be dust on the ocean somewhere. But these bodies aren't staying, guys. This isn't the final event. These bodies are temporary, and you're going to get a new created, a new heavenly body in the resurrection. But don't get so comfortable and so worried and concerned about this world that you miss the next one. So fasting is really a tool. So we're going to do that together. So I want you to, over the next few weeks, begin to pray and ask God, God, what do you want me to fast? What do you want me to give up so that I can train myself? And so I want you to challenge yourself another step or two more than you've done in the past. Um, You could do a myriad of things. There's no religious ritual rules that you have to follow. You just talk to God, let him lead you, and but I want you to challenge yourself. You with me? Yeah. There you go. Fast from exercising? That would be the devil talking to you, young man. Okay. Yeah. We've been learning spiritual warfare, Mark, so you should know that that was a thought. Yeah, okay. All right. So ask God what he wants you to do, and if you have a, an issue like Mark, come talk to me, and I'll help you pray, and we'll, we'll ask God to get no. But um, God wants to challenge you not to make your 21... See, if you... When I said fast 21 days, if you in your heart got sad... Or if you got, oh man, or troublesome, or there was, not, if there was anything but an excitement to press into God, 
you need to check yourself. Check your heart. Because this is not about something that should be negative. This should be an exciting time for you to spend time with the holy God, for him to change you and transform you. I don't know about you, but if it was so easy to walk in the power of the Spirit, then everyone would be doing it, right? If it was so easy to walk in power and have people healed around you and, 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 and getting people free and deliverance and setting people free and doing the things that God showed us to do, people getting saved in your life all the time, then everyone would be doing that. But that's not the natural bent of our, of our physical body. Our physical body wants to just please itself. Are you with me? Okay, so in that 21 days, so be praying and asking God for that. And then on Wednesdays, the first three Wednesdays of January, we're gonna have prayer and worship in here the first three Wednesdays of the year during that fast to come together and seek God. And so that's gonna be a fun time of, of worship mixed with prayer and a prayer mic, and we're just gonna have a good time. Let the Holy Spirit rule that from seven o'clock to eight o'clock. We're gonna do it for an hour. We're gonna seek God, and then at eight o'clock you could take off and go because we got there's you know still got to live life. But if you want to hang around a little longer and pray, we're gonna do that as well. So I want you to join me. This isn't a how do I say this? Yeah, I can't make anyone go, but as your pastor, I'm asking you to make every effort to be there the first three Wednesdays of the year. Okay, seven to eight, seven to eight. I want you to make every effort to be there, okay? So that means my leaders in the church that are leaders, I'm expecting you to be there. And if you're not, I'm gonna go, hey, what are you doing? And then try and make your life miserable. No, I'm kidding. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep you accountable to that because I think it's that important. And the Bible's clear about pastors. Don't make our job hard. Don't make our job tough. Because it's tough enough. So as your pastor, I am kindly asking you to be there because it's best for you. Think of me as your trainer. Who wants to lose a few pounds in the new year? Anybody? Okay. So think of it as a trainer. You don't always want to work out. You don't want to do one more mile on the treadmill, but your trainer says do it. You got to do it because he's pushing you beyond your limits. So I'm going to try and push you spiritually this year, 2018, beyond what you've expected or normally get pushed because I want more out of you, not because I do, but God wants more out of us because there's so much more potential in us that we are untapped. We're not living to our potential, guys, amen? We are not, we, there's so much more that we could be walking in the spirit, transforming the city for God, amen? amen? All right, so good stuff coming in the new year. Uh, Wednesday, we announced that um, uh, Chris, I don't know if you guys remember Chris, Logan, and Allison, they were uh, worshiping over here with the whole team on Installation Sunday, if you were here, when uh, Pastor Bill Cheney came up and Pastor Rob were here and me and Jen were installed, they were over here. They're, he's a pastor in the Foursquare Church and he's gonna come up and do a, a partial like intern with us as a worship leader. So he's gonna start in the new year. We have a lot of other exciting things starting in the new year. We got a ladies' night out, a new thing for the ladies starting once a month, it's gonna be fun. Got a marriage ministry starting where we're gonna start with couples getting together and hanging out and having a good time. So a lot of cool things. Uh, Mark and Darlene are taking over the kids' ministry in the new year. So that's, I'm super excited for that, man. It's going to be good stuff right there. And uh, I know they're praying up and getting prepared for that. And um, so if you want to work with those ministries, let us know. We do need help. In fact, in our church, guys, everyone has to work. Everyone loves. Everyone serves. Everyone gives. Everyone worships. Okay, so we all got to do that. The Bible says, Paul makes it very clear throughout the, the New Testament, carry your share of the load. Don't do it all yourself, but everyone needs to take up their portion and carry it on there. We do this as a team or we don't do it. 
So what happens if we don't do it as a team? We end up having a few people do it, and there's a dysfunctional church, and it doesn't, it doesn't produce what it is supposed to produce. It's ineffective and inefficient. But if we want to be effective and efficient, we share the load together, everyone doing their part. Amen? Amen. So we're looking in 2018 for commitment and for people to say, this is my church. God has called me here, and I'm going to serve God in 2018 and see what God's going to do in this new year. Thank you. I'm pumped about this year. I am so excited about 2018 because I know God has good stuff, but we have to take hold of it. Do you realize that? Do you realize that 2018 has untapped potential? Like, it can be whatever, whatever you want. If you go into it with doubt and unbelief, if you go in believing that, oh, it's just going to be the same thing over and over, you're going to get the same thing over and over. But if you change your mindset and renew your mind like Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about, and what we've talked about really for a couple months now of guarding the battlefield of your mind, taking captive those thoughts which try to exalt themselves above the knowledge or the ways of God and try and get you in bondage and keep you pressed down, You've got to overcome those, and you can through God's power, and God wants us to live in his spirit this year, in the new year. Amen? Amen. Okay. All right. Enough of that. Got your Bibles? Yeah. Well, everyone's got their phones, so they got, you got your 120 Bibles on your Bible app, so you should have a lot. So today we're going to talk about the we're in our armor series, right? And if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, we started talking about spiritual armor in Ephesians 6. And we, we started kind of in an unorthodox way where we jumped to the helmet of salvation, okay? But today we're going to talk about the belt of truth. And I want to take a quick look back on what we talked about because it was the week before last. And we've been looking into what spiritual warfare is and, and how to fight. But now we've gone from learning about what spiritual warfare looks like and we're looking into how to apply that into our lives by taking up the armor of God. Because the armor of God is tied in, obviously, to warfare. And we've been looking like, how do we win this battle? We've, taught, we've, we've looked at what happens in the spiritual realm, how the enemy talks and, and tries to lure us into doubt and fear, and we've looked at that, but now we want to look, how do we win? We learned that knowing the rules gives you a distinct advantage, remember? Remember we talked about cheaters, you know, in games, remember that? Remember that, Mark? Yeah? We talked about how people play games and they change the rules halfway through, remember that? So we, we want to look at what is God giving us in our, the rules, in his book of rules, which is not a, a, a rules should be a, a fun thing to you, it should be a, a freeing thing for you, but God wants us to know what will give us a distinct advantage in, in our fight. We talked about the helmet of salvation, we talked about the mind, remember where this is the main battle, right? The battle's happening here, taking captive every thought. And we looked at the enemy was after you, he was after you in the fact of who you are. Remember we talked about the helmet protecting the identity? Remember God, uh, or Jesus, when he was on the earth and he got tempted by the enemy? Remember the first thing that he said is, if? Yeah. Right? He said, if you're the son of God. So the first thing he went after was your identity, who you are. 
Do you belong to God? And then we start talking about, are you sure you're saved? Because the enemy will talk to you a lot, try and tempt you and lure you into maybe you're not really saved anymore. Hmm. And so we looked at, are you sure that you're saved? We, we introduced, um, the, the enemy will introduce a seed of doubt and see if you'll bite. He'll cast one little thought and try and get you to bite on a very subtle thing. Are you sure you're saved? Did you really mean it? Oh, but look what you did last week. Look how you treated so-and-so. Look what you looked at. Look how you did this. And he'll, he'll try and point out failures to question whether you're saved or not. He'll try and lure you away to see if you're really God's. And he'll try and lure you into a works mentality to where he tries to get you to understand that maybe it's you have to earn God's approval instead of just accept it by grace through faith. Then we looked at unbelief and doubt and how the enemy, by our unbelief and doubt, will give the enemy access into our hearts. We talked about doubting salvation as like taking your helmet off during the battle. How silly would that be to go into a battle without the helmet? And we can't go and we can't fight every day. We can't fight without knowing that the battle's here. We've got to protect that battlefield and be alert and aware of that. And we've got to know when we put that helmet on every day that we are saved, that God loves us. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, height nor depth, nothing. Angels or demons, nothing can separate you. God loves you. And if you're in a believing relationship with him, Remember, we talked about the word believe and how it's not a one-time act, but it's an ongoing verb every day. You've got to continue to believe and trust. If you're in a trusting relationship with him, you are secure in him. You know, a lot of people have asked me over time, well, do you believe in eternal security? Can you ever lose your salvation? I said, I believe you can't lose your salvation as long as you're continuing to believe in him. So that settles it. Just continue to have faith and trust him, and you'll be eternally secure. Are you with me? All right. So, um, Hebrews 3.12, you can just mark that down. I want to read a portion of that, and I want to look at what happens when we allow that unbelief and doubt. This is kind of review, but I wanted to point this out. Beware, the Bible says, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief. Interesting, that unbelief is equated to an evil heart. When you do not trust God, when you are not walking in faith and exercising trust in the master, that is called an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God, verse 13, but exhort one another daily, while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And then later in chapter 3 in Hebrews in 19, it says, so we see that they meaning the children of Israel, as they were going into the promised land, they could not enter in because of unbelief. So the children of Israel went, and they scouted out the land. Remember the story? And they came back, and they said, oh, yeah, there's great fruit and all this produce. It's a great land, but there's giants, and we are like grasshoppers in their sight, and we can't do it. But the Bible says, so we see that they, the people I just described, could not enter in because of unbelief. Not because they weren't able, not because they couldn't have, but because they did not believe what God said was theirs. 
They did not believe the word of God, and the word of God was, I have given you a land. It is yours. Go take it. That's what God said. That was God's spoken word, his manna. Bam. It was the word of God. And they took that word, and they said, I don't believe that word from God. I'm too scared of the giants. Therefore, I'm not going to go in the land. And remember, that whole generation died except for a few that did believe Caleb, Joshua, and, well, Moses believed, but he didn't get to go in. So it was unbelief. And so we learn how when we allow unbelief and doubt to fester in our minds, that we open up a door into our hearts that, that can be dangerous. And when we allow that to come in, that can cause us, you and me, from not entering into the land that God has for you today. God has an abundant life for you. God has a promises. The Bible says every promise of God is yes and amen. And God has those promises waiting out there. Just like he said, the land is yours. God today, through his word, if you find it in here, it's God's word. And if he's saying it to you, which he is saying, this Bible is a letter to you guys. It's a book written to you. And if he says to you, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about it and I'll give you peace. You can have faith in that word and experience real peace from God. But if you don't believe that instead of anxious and worry to pray, if you don't believe that and don't have action to that and you just worry and stress and have fear about it, what you're saying is, I don't believe your word, God. So then what will you not experience? Peace. You won't be walking in the land of peace. You, it's all based on God's word, guys. If you want something from God that he's provided for you in the cross, you find it in here and you believe it. And you believe it regardless of what you're looking at or feeling or hearing. Remember, they went and saw giants and that caused them to not believe the creator of all the world and the universe and even those giants. So we cannot partake if we're in unbelief. We laid out what it means to be saved that one week, and we talked about we've got to confess and believe. So that was our helmet of salvation. That's what we talked about in our helmet of salvation is being secure in knowing who you are and knowing God's word. So we also talked about really quickly was the armor and what it meant. Remember that we talked about the armor was designed to face the enemy? Remember that? Your armor, and we're talking about armor now, we're talking about putting on battle garments, it's designed to face your enemy, right? Not retreat, right? So when you retreat, you, you expose yourself to the enemy to attack you. So when you're, in a, when you're in a fight and you're fighting for something, just keep at it. Face the enemy. Go directly toward it. Don't avoid it. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Go fight for what's yours because when you start retreating and get scared and fear and running, that's when the enemy can actually attack you more and, and get one of those fiery darts that he's shooting at you. Well, if you have your shield of faith... The Bible says, and we'll learn later, that it will extinguish 99% of all the fiery darts. All the fiery darts. All the fiery darts. Every one of them. So, but if you're running, that's kind of hard to hold your shield. <laughs> right? So your, 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 your uh, armor was designed to face. Your armor is also designed for action. It was meant to not just stand there. It was meant for you to... Be in action and put your faith in action by working and going and doing. Some of us say, oh, I just believe God's full of grace. I'm just going to do whatever I want. No, it's about not being an entitlement that, oh, God's given me everything, so I'm just going to enjoy that. It's about taking and believing and putting works with your faith. 
And then, of course, we talked about the armor was designed to wear all the time and not intermittently. <laughs> don't, don't take vacations from the armor. That's not the, the, the concept at all. When you take a vacation from the armor, that's when you can get attacked. Remember, the enemy's prowling around your hedge of protection. We talked about the hedge around everyone's life that they have, and it's your job to, to ma maintenance that hedge, to make sure that hedge is healthy and growing and there's no gaps. It's our responsibility. All right, so today we're gonna to talk about the belt of truth, but let's, uh, let's lay a foundation for getting dressed, because as we approach the first armor that we put on, which is the belt of truth, it's interesting in Ephesians 6, 11, that it talks about putting on, and as you read it, you might think that, oh, that's just, you know, talking about dressing, right? Spiritual dress, you're getting dressed. But let's look at it and see what it means. So it says in Ephesians 6, 11, that finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord, excuse me, 10, be strong in the Lord and in his power of his might. Verse 11, put on, and if that's not underlined in your Bibles, go ahead and underline that, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Remember, those are the tricks, the schemes. Actually, it's more the word for traps. It's actually like make a bear trap. It's like a, a, they're lying in wait for you, that word means. So that the enemy's lying in wait to see if they can snare you into something. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Then it says again in verse 13, therefore take up, or some translations say the same thing as verse 11, which is put on. So put on or take up the whole armor again, describing all of it, not just part of it, but the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having all to, done to stand, stand firm. So the armor, all the armor is meant to put on. But how do we put on something that's not physical? Because in our minds, we think putting on armor like putting on shoes or our pants, which is really hard for me because I, I went out to pick out an Amazon box that my daughter orders Amazon stuff all the time. And it's usually like half pound, pound, a shirt, you know. Lo and behold, I saw a box. Oh, I better get that for Kelsey and I'll put it in the thing. And I went down just nonchalantly, didn't bend my knees right, went down to grab it thinking it was super light and it was two rotors. I don't know if you know what rotors are. Rotors are metal things that your brakes work on your car. They're like, they're like 25 pound weights each. So I had about 40, 50 pounds in this box that I wasn't ready and I just went click, oh, and my lower back just went, oh. And it got stiff and so now in the morning, you know how injuries are worse in the morning for some, you know, and I'm getting on and I'm trying to put my sock, my wife's like, do you want me to help you put on your shoes? And I'm like, no, I can do it. It took me like 10 minutes. So, but it's not dressing the way we think of it, putting on, and as I looked into the Greek on this word, I, I thought, oh, this is an interesting word because it's not just putting on something like we would think in dressing, but this is dressing of something that's figurative, and it's not a literal putting on, but it's a spiritual putting on. So let's look at that word, and it's an interesting word. It's a, the, word the Greek word is in duo, and it means to invest with clothing, or literally in the sense of sinking into a garment. It's translated in the King James, array, clothe, and do, put on, or have put on. And Paul uses the same word, remember this is a letter to the church of Ephesus. So earlier in the letter, he uses the same Greek word in Ephesians 4.22. And look how he uses this word, the same word in Ephesians 4.22. So he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made 
new in the attitude of your minds, and then verse 24, and to enduo your new self, to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the same Greek word that Paul uses there to put on your new self, which is, again, figuratively, it's not an actual garment or anything, but he says dress, basically get dressed in your new self. Interesting. So when the readers were reading this in chapter 6, they knew exactly the kind of connotation that he was trying to make. And I want you to notate verse 23 because that gives us an idea of what it means. In verse 23, it says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, or uh, the New Living Translations translate that same thing. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. So really, and then, then right there it says in verse 24, put on the new self. How do you do that? You renew your thoughts and attitudes. So it's a mindset that God's talking about when you're putting on something. So when he says you're putting on the helmet of uh, salvation, he's not saying actually go get a helmet and pretend and have it on all day. He's saying, when you put on a helmet of salvation, I want you to have the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitude towards this concept of salvation. And so when you put it on, you're getting a new mindset and a new way of looking at how God sees you and how you're his and you belong to him and how you're eternally secure as, as you trust in the Lord Jesus. Amen? You with me? Sinking in? All right. So the word put on is really talking about a mindset or a way of looking at something. So as we read that and getting ready to put the armor on, we see put on the whole armor is saying really get a new mindset, get a clear way to look at these concepts that I'm gonna talk about because each piece of armor has a distinct concept that God wants to get to us and help us overcome and be able to walk in victory. That same word though is also used in a couple other places in scriptures and I wanted to share that with you too. So the same Greek word, was used back in Luke. And it says in Luke 8:27, it says when Jesus went ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town and we know that means really demonized, right? So he met a man that was severely influenced by a demon. Okay. I was going to I was going to do a whole show. That's all right. Um, it says for a long time this man the demonized man had not worn clothes or lived in the house, but had lived in the tombs. Remember that story? What's interesting, though, is the same Greek word for put on is used in the negative where it says he had not worn clothes. This demon, demonized man had not put on real clothes. So he was literally, this guy was running around naked. And, and it jumped out at me, and I thought, Wow. In the same sense, in the spiritual realm, when we are being deceived by the enemy up here and not trusting God's word and knowing his word and walking in faith on his word, we are like this guy who has not put on the armor and we walk around spiritually naked and wide open to the enemy. So it's important that we put on the mindset of God and start seeing things through God's glasses. This is how we should look at life. Hi, Jeff. Are you listening, Jeff? Okay, good. We've got to see the world and ourselves through God and his vision. Because if we don't put on Christ, so when you don't put on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you will walk in deception. As this demonized man was walking in deception, he thought it was okay to walk around naked. But he was so severely tricked and deceived over a long period of time that he got to the point where that was normal to him. And there's some Christians that walk around thinking that some things in their life and believing some things are normal and they should be having in their life, and it's not. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. He also uses it in a different way in Luke 24, 49. This will give us another insight into this word. And this is one that you'll probably be very familiar with in Luke 24, 49. He says, behold, and this is Jesus talking, which makes it more important, right? <laughs> it's in red. You know, the red stuff's real important. Okay. Behold, Jesus said, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, until you are clothed in duo with power from on high. Now think about this, guys. Jesus is saying, don't do anything until go into Jerusalem and wait. Don't go out and try and start nothing on your own, but wait until you put on Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I'm going to put on Holy Spirit upon you. I'm going to clothe you. Like we said earlier, sinking into clothing, it's going to saturate you, cover you. Right? Holy Spirit means, the baptism means paraclete, the Greek word, which means to come alongside. He's going to put the Holy Spirit alongside you. And what does the Spirit do? John says the Spirit leads us where? Into all truth, belt of truth. The Holy Spirit, putting on the Holy Spirit, is putting on the truth. It's putting on your mindset of truth. So that same word to put on was to put on the Holy Spirit. To put on the armor is to help you see clearly and give you a new mindset so that you can be ready and you can win. Amen? So that's the thing we're looking at, to put on. We must understand that God is asking us to do here. It is this where he gives us clues on how to win, if we put on the armor. Amen? Amen. All right, so behind each piece of armor, remember we talked about cheat codes, and some of you older people might not get it. I'm young, so I get it. But <laughs> cheat codes were met in video games, and you'd have to do levels to get certain stuff in your game. And so a cheat code, you could go look it up online and do something on the machine to give a code in there, and it would give you all this extra stuff without working for it. And we wonder why our generation's the way they are, millennial. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in. Um, but behind this, really, God, behind each piece of armor, God's giving us clues and an understanding of how to walk in victory and how to live a, a life of victory. So let's look at that. Let's look at the belt of truth. So standing therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Let's notice a few things about this. The first and obvious thing that we all see is that it's the first piece that we put on, right? So that tells us that this is the very first thing that comes on, which means it's the foundation, okay? It's essential to holding all other armor pieces together. And that's what in the armor, the, the belt was the first initial piece that helped tie everything together, and so it's important as a foundation that we know that the truth is something that is foundational, not just in the belt of truth, but in every armor piece, the helmet, the breastplate, the sword, the shield, the, your feet being shod with the gospel piece. It's all part of that. So truth is essential in the first thing. 
And I want you to notice, too, something interesting about this, is that the first three pieces of armor are all talked to in the past tense. So it says, having girded your waist with truth, having put on your breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet. We'll talk about that a little more in the weeks to come, but it's interesting that that is something that should be established and done first. But then when we get to the shield, it says, take up your shield, take up your sword. Interesting. So these are foundational things that you should have already done when you're trying to go out and live life. You should have the belt of truth should be the first thing you do. Truth, establishing truth. Also, the piece of armor shows us the tactic of the enemy. So in each piece of armor, it shows us what the enemy is going to be attacking. Obviously, if we're putting things in armor on us, it's protecting something that's going to hit us, right? So in the converse thinking would be that then we ought to know whatever piece we're putting on, it's going to protect something. And if it's going to protect something, we should know what it's protecting it from. So in that, we can find clues on, okay, so what's the enemy's bullets going to look like? The belt holds all the armor as truth holds everything together in the universe. God's truth is our standard. It's our subline. It's our, I mean, our plumb line. It's the thing we gear and gauge everything off of. And so we know that the enemy will try and attack us in the area of what is true. What is truth? What is the standard truth? I mean, we live in a society today that that's questioned all over. We don't even have standards. We've gone so far from the Bible as our standard in, in our country that we're doing things that are absolutely opposed to the word of God. And we all, we all know them. I'm not going to get into them all, but the standard is God's word. But if you don't have the belt of truth, you're trying to live a life without any standard which you have no direction. You don't even know where your starting point is. If you have a plumb line, and contractors do that, they have basically, they have levels, but they have a, a plumb line, which is a string with a weight on the bottom, which gives you an exact parallel so that you can make your uh, walls completely straight. And that's based off gravity, and so it gives you a perfect plumb line. And so that's the line they go off. But if you don't have truth, and truth is not established in your hearts, you don't know what to think and do about people. Or you don't know what to think about society and what's going on. It could be, well, you know, living together is not the same as it used to be. You know, when you lived together before you got married, that was a big deal back in the day, right? 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 I mean, you're young, but that was not acceptable, right? Today, it's almost like it's, yeah, it's expected. It's like, oh, well, why would you want to not live together before you get married? Yeah, we got to try it out, right? Make sure it works. So the standards has gotten so far that it's not just something that's wrong anymore. It's something that is so wrong that it's, everyone thinks it's right. And it's deception because people aren't having God's word being their truth. They're not having the foundation of their life be based on God's word. That See, a plumb line is something you conform and put everything, you put a piece of wood up to your plumb line. You conform to the standard. God's word is something that we conform our life to his word. We don't go, well, how can I make this match my life? Because I want to do life this way. I want to go get wasted on the weekends. I got to find something in here that says it's okay to just go get plowed on the weekends. Or I want to have sex before marriage because I, you know, I don't know. I might not like the person. 
this is real stuff. I mean, this is happening. And even to the extent of homosexuality. People go, oh, well, I was born this way, and so I have affections towards the same sex, and they go in here and they twist scripture to try and make it say that that's an okay lifestyle. See, that's when you, you don't honor God's truth. You don't have any starting point, which makes us mindless, undirected people. That's why our country's in chaos, church. It's just because we've gone away from the standard of truth where everyone's making up their own lie. You know the, what the number one commandment in the Satanic Bible is? Do what thou wilt. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's what Satan is promoting in his kingdom. That is exactly opposite to putting on the belt of truth, to having God's word as your standard and making your life conform to him instead of saying, no, I want to do what I want, so I'll pick and choose verses I want and twist and manipulate them so that I feel good about what I'm doing. That'll get you lost and eventually kill you. That's where it's headed. So without truth, you have no standard and with no standard, you have no direction. Your direction is confused. John 8, 31 says this, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's not about just seeing the truth or understanding it, it's really about knowing the truth. The truth is there. The only thing that makes the truth different in your life is if you know it. And that word know, remember, is the same Greek word used in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they might know God. Remember we talked about that word? It's a very intimate knowing. It's the same Greek word used when, and even in Hebrew, when Adam knew his wife. So it's an intimate, very intimate, uh, personal word about knowing. That's the same word used here, guys. You have to know the truth. You can't just learn it and memorize it. It's got to get from your head into your heart. And when you have truth, you have direction. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Now, talk about a standard. There are so many religious people, even people calling themselves Christians, that say, oh, there's many paths to God. No, there's not. There's one path. And his name is Jesus. That is the only way to salvation. You are not entering into eternal life, nor can you know the Father, unless you go through the Son of God and his name is Jesus. That's it. That's the standard. And if you want to have direction in your life, you accept that and believe that standard as truth, and then you have life. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Underline that in your Bibles. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, talking about you and me. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. What does sanctified mean? Set apart. Set apart for a specific purpose. It's an also translated this same word, holiness. 
It's being set aside for a specific purpose. And the process of sanctification in your life is done by you conforming to the truth. Are you with me? Because when you get saved, your spirit man is 100% sanctified. Done, over, perfect. When you confess and believe you are born again, your spirit man and God's spirit become one, and that spirit is born of an incorruptible seed, the Bible says, that spirit man's perfect. Now, we got this silly mind up here that's got to be transformed into the likeness of God, which then connects to our body. So the rest of us is being sanctified over time. And that only happens as we submit and humble ourselves to the truth of God's word. And as we do that, we become sanctified both mind and body because our spirit is already connected and sanctified wholly with God. Does that make sense? So that's the process, but that all starts with the truth. Basing your life on this. This stuff's got to be in your life every day, guys. Every day. You've got to be meditating on the word day and night. Psalms 1 says that if you do that, your life will be like a tree. Where would a tree like to be? Next to a river. And if you're planted in God's word and his truth, you'll be like a tree planted by a river that's getting all of, it, all of its needs met every day and produces fruit in season. You'll be doing, and what is that? Oh, direction. Truth provides direction. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God or woman may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The enemy's attack will be against truth. Well, actually against all armor and in every attack. That's on your notes there. It's the enemy will bring the attack to get you to doubt and not know truth in every attack and against every piece of armor, and we'll see this as we go through each piece of armor. And this gives us insight into knowing how to fight. The enemy's goal is to deviate you from the truth. He will cheat you out of what is rightfully yours, church. God gave you Jesus. Jesus lived for you perfectly, took all your mistakes, and made them right. And now you get to experience it's, it's as if you are perfect. It's as if you can go to God in Christ and say, I'm perfect. I've never sinned. Just think of that confidence. Just think of the fact if we had never really sinned and all our past mistakes were gone and corrected. And You know, because you, know, you get guilty when you make mistakes, right? You sin, you mess up, and you, you get condemned and you're not as confident before God. But just think, if you could have full 100% confidence, you can. All you got to do is do it by faith. You step into Christ, and then you go to the Father, and you say, Father, I'm perfect because of Jesus. And because I'm perfect in Christ, I can ask you anything in your name, and you'll do it for me. God's not going to respond to you based upon your performance or how good or bad you are. God's going to respond to you based on who you're in. When he looks down at you, and if you're in Christ, what does he see? Christ. What is Christ? Is he perfect? Then what are you? Oh, but you don't see my life. I, I don't care. I'm just telling you what God's word says. 
The truth is that, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are gone. Behold, everything is new. That's the truth. But I sin. If you sin, 1 John 1, 9, confess your sin. And God is what? Faithful and just. How much of all, all your sin? All of it? Yeah, all of it. Okay. Again, if you're basing your life on the truth, then when you sin, go to him, confess, repent, turn away from it, be made whole, and then go to the Father and go, okay, Father, what next? What do you want me to do? Oh, by the way, God, will you help me get a job? I'll absolutely help you get a job because I'm looking at a perfect being and now you can ask me because I'm a rewarder of those that diligently seek me. I love you now because of what Christ did for you. Now I see you as Christ. Some of us have got to start approaching God differently. Some of us approach God, we start off our prayer time, oh God, I'm so miserable, I just, nah, 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 nah. my life is so blah, 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 we're just throw-upping all over the place. No, enter his gates with confidence. Jesus' work was good enough for you, and it was sufficient for your past. It was good enough for all your mistakes. Don't you ever dare think that what you did, Jesus wasn't good enough to cover. Because that, that teeters real close with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I said teeters real close. Because he is sufficient. And by you thinking anything less of yourself, you're saying Jesus isn't good enough. What you did was insufficient. Oh, just like what the children said to God. Sorry, God, the giants are too big. God said, why are you looking at the giants? Have you seen me lately? <laughs> the giants are like this big. Squish them. What did he do to the first giants? Oh, sing some songs. March around a building, and then I'm going to lay huge walls that would leave probably a 20-foot pile, but I'm going to make it flat. Anyway, that's a different story. So he, the enemy will cheat you. He's trying to get you to deviate from the truth little by little. One half degree, just a little bit. That's why you got to be so familiar with this truth that when any type of lie, big or small, presents itself to your mind or your thought, that you will recognize it. Because most little lies are designed for you not to recognize them. But they're going to deviate you a little bit. And if you start a plane flight and you go one degree off, you're not going to get to your destination. So every small thing counts. Hebrews 4.2 says this, and this is what we talked about earlier. For indeed, the gospel was preached to them as well to us, speaking of the children of Israel. And it's interesting, it says the gospel, the good news was preached to them. Hey, there's a promised land for you guys. It's your land. I've given it to you. Go take it. The gospel was preached to them as well, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So the word that was given to them was, this land's yours. But they heard it, and they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't say, God, you're God. It doesn't look very good, but I'm going to believe your word by faith and trust you above on what I see, and I'm going to take your gift. They didn't mix it with faith. So be careful today that you don't miss what God has for you because you won't mix his promises for today with faith and believe what he says that he'll do for you now. Because the same gospel that was preached to them is preached to you. 
The children of Israel believed the lie that they were too small. And you know what happened? Their God in their eyes became small. And they didn't get their land. You know, if you think you're supposed to be sick, poor, always struggling, if that's your mindset, do you know that's what you're going to get? If you think, the, the Bible says, probably says, as a man thinketh, so he becomes. So if you keep thinking in your heart and your mind that I deserve to be poor, oh, I've done bad things, I need to struggle, there's always got to be relationship struggles in my life just because, no, Christians mix up so bad what suffering really is. Suffering in the Bible is when you suffer for the gospel's sake, not because of silly, stupid thinking or bad choices. If you make a bad choice and you suffer because of that, don't think you're righteous and, oh, I'm just a Christian suffering the whole tough life of Jesus. No, you're not. You just made a stupid choice. Now deal with the consequences and move on. So don't, so don't think that, oh, I've got to be sick and poor and barely make this and never achieve and I'm never going to get this. If that's your mindset, that's what you're going to get. That's what the enemy talked the children of Israel into by not taking their promised land. That was a big deal. That was just like, hey, I got a new house over here for you. You want it? No, this was like they had no land. They were roaming in the wilderness. They had no place to live. Land to them was life, man. That was where you established your fam families and houses and farms and everything and lived. And God said, here it is. It's all there for you. But the enemy came and whispered, man, that giant's big. If you go out there, he'll, you'll get killed. The enemy's trying to distill fear. Man, this is fine. Just go back to Egypt. Or just go back to the wilderness. At least you had stuff there. You don't have to be afraid. You know what I mean? Are you with me? 40 years, which should have been an 11-day journey. So what is the belt of truth really protecting? The, hel the helmet of salvation was protecting your identity. What is the belt of truth protecting? Ephesians 6 says, standing therefore, having girded your waist with truth. The King James Version says it a little differently. It says, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And I want you to take, real quick, we're almost done, so hang with me. I'm on my last page. The word for loins is interesting because typically it can mean your waist, but it can also mean the reproductive area. Your loins. And in that type, in this old type, loins, having kids and producing your lineage was super important. And so this Greek word for loins, which is osphus, it means this, the hip or procreative power. So if we think figuratively about what the belt of truth is really protecting, listen to this. One um, commentary says this, the loins meant the seat of generative power. To smite the loins referred to a fatal blow, forever ending anything that would or could come from the slain. So really, protecting the loins was protecting the ability to reproduce and have lineage and have fruit in your life. The same truth 
The same truth is this, in uh, uh, Vine's dictionary says this about that word loins, bracing up oneself so as to maintain perfect sincerity and re, uh, reality as a counteractive in Christian character against hypocrisy and falsehood. The belt of truth protects us from falsehood about that reproducing in us. The belt of truth is protecting your ability to reprodu reproduce Christ in yourself and others. So having the belt of truth, having God's word as your standard, is really about protecting your ability to share the gospel and help other people get to know God and helping yourself to grow in Christ. Because you can't grow in Christ without his truth. And so the truth, the belt of truth, protects the loins. Gird your loins with truth. Protect your ability. Because if you get skewed on a lie, you can't help others get free. Because you're in deception too. But if you have the truth, what does knowing the truth do? Sets you free. And if you're free, you can help others get free. But not if you're believing a lie. Are you with me? Yeah. This is deep. we got to get a hold of this because we are called to reproduce. We are called to go make disciples. We are called to help set captives free. Amen? Aren't we? Aren't, isn't this church supposed to be a really a spiritual hospital that people can come in broken and hurting and sick and get mended and made whole? That's what Isaiah 61 prophesied about the church. So I believe that. I believe without a standard of God's truth, our preaching of the gospel is useless. It, becomes, it starts working against us. But if we gird our loins with truth, it protects us. It keeps us whole and able to reproduce and do what God's called us to do. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your awesome truth. Lord, we thank you this morning for reminding us of how precious it is and how powerful it is, God, that your word is the absolute truth. Lord, we're, we're reminded, God, in your prophet Isaiah said that when you speak, God, that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes what it's set forth to do. Your word always produces fruit, God. So, God, we thank you for that, God. And we ask, Lord, that this week, God, you would teach us and show us how to walk in truth. Lord, that you would show us where areas that we're not walking in truth, where we've been deceived. Oh, God, by your spirit, Lord, lead us into all truth. Oh, God, by your word, as we meditate on your word, lead us into all truth. Help us see the areas, the slight variances that we've gone off to where we've believed something, but it's got some errors in it, God. Help us see that so that we can get on track with you and let your word be our standard. Oh, God, we love your truth and we invite it. We want to be made whole. We want to be sanctified, made set apart for you by your truth. So we're asking, Holy Spirit, to make this word today come alive in us this week as we surrender our lives to you and give you all that we have. And Father, I ask now, Lord, if someone in here this morning doesn't know truth at all, has never met the man of truth, Jesus Christ, and have never asked the truth to be in their hearts, and you're wanting to do that, is there, I want to ask, is there anyone here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Or maybe you've fallen away from him. Maybe you've been serving yourself and haven't been submitting your life to God and you asked Christ in your heart a long time ago, but 
you've never made him Lord and, and, and you've fallen away from that. If that's you this morning and you want to come back to Jesus, you want to recommit your life or maybe for the first time give your life to him, if that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you after service. Not going to embarrass you right now, but I want to just pray with you after service. Is there anyone here this morning that would say, yeah, Pastor Doug, that's me. I want to know truth. I want to know Jesus and I want to start a new life with him. Is there anyone here this morning that say, yeah, that's me. Holy Spirit's been tugging on my heart to come back to him, or he's been tugging on my heart this whole service just to, to know him for the first time. Anyone here this morning? Bless your name, Lord. Father, you're a good God. Lord, be with us this week. Help us to proclaim truth, but help us to do it in love. Lord, as we proclaim and talk through the holidays, let's proclaim the truth of your son Jesus being born into the world of a virgin. <laughs> what a crazy story, but awesome, but also very, very true. So God, help us to proclaim that true story this week and the next few weeks, God, as we proclaim the birth of your son, the great gift from the Most High. We're so grateful for that, Lord. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory for it too, God. We're your kids. We love you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next Christmas Eve, Sunday morning. Come celebrate with us, same time, 10 o'clock. Love you guys.